Hey, welcome to the bullpen session. This is Patrick Lillis, and thank you for listening. Uh, I hope you're doing okay. I hope uh, I know the world is upside down, and you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just. Uh, I was thinking about this week. I, I talked with my friend and brilliant actor Michael Stuhlbart, and um, excited to share that conversation with you. But I also want to say that I thought about well re-releasing the interview we did with Nicole Brewer two weeks ago um, before George Floyd was killed and before the protests started. And it was uh, talking with her about institutional systemic racism uh, in the, she does anti-racist theater and we talked at SCTC and the conversation was, was great. And there was a lot to it that was really valuable. And if you haven't listened to that episode, I'm going to recommend it. It felt a little too close, meaning it was only two episodes ago, so I didn't feel like re-release it. So I wanted to talk about it here and say, you know, uh, you should take a listen if you haven't yet. And uh, the conversation with Michael was great. He's one of the most generous, talented people I know. And I'm really grateful that uh, that we got to talk. But... No, but I was grateful we talked, but uh, today I'm really, uh, just want everybody, you know, I'm like, just take care of yourselves. And, you know, it's interesting. I, in the time of the pandemic, everybody was talking before the murder in Minneapolis that theater was going to change. And then with the Nicole episode, I was talking about during this change, we, you know, we need to think about how we're going to be more inclusive. And now I think we really need to figure out how we're going to change, you know, and it is changing society and uh, listening to people of color. My black friends talk about the pain that they are experiencing right now, but realizing how deep it is every day, uh, the f- fear and prejudice that happen in, I think the, you know, it's, one of the things Nicole said that registered with me was uh, the conversation is not good. It's the outcomes that are important. And uh, I think now is a time for us to, you know, really do the work to make sure that the outcomes happen and that we're not having a conversation and, you know, just talking is what I mean. Uh, say that on a podcast is kind of silly because it's all about talking, but, um, but just taking a moment, making sure that we're looking at what we're doing we're listening to each other, we're learning and uh, changing and doing the work for that. And I'm hearing it from, you know, the farm works with a lot of colleges and I'm hearing that with a lot of schools that uh, incremental change is not enough. And and, uh, how we train people has to change. And, And what, you know, I don't know, I was gonna say how we, you know, and then I realized I'm not sure about what it is. I just know that it's it's got to change and it's going to change and everybody's working at it right now, which is exciting and uh, uncomfortable. So I'm glad you're listening. And, you know, I always, I always say email us, you know, I'll just give you my email, which is patrick at the farm org. Email us. Email us about the conversations you want to hear. Email us about things that you need if you're an early career artist and that are valuable to you. Uh, email anything. Thoughts on how issues of race need to change. Thoughts on, you know, what you're afraid of 
stepping into at this point in your career regarding the pandemic um you know anything and uh you know or just listen to the great conversation i had with michael and uh take care of yourself in however whatever way you need to and i'm glad that everybody's okay anybody who's listening to this i hope you are hope you're healthy and taking your care of yourself physically emotionally and all the, and uh i was going to say and psychologically uh i hope everybody is uh just taking care of yourself and that's that said the introduction to the show uh michael stuhlbarg is one of the great actors of our time and and uh I, we talk about it but you know one year a couple of years ago he was in call me by your name the post and the shape of water all in the same year doing three dramatically different roles and was great in all of them and then the next time i saw him he was on stage playing socrates as socrates at the public and it was dynamic and on fire and funny and just really great to watch and then when you listen to our conversation you'll also hear how thoughtful and uh considered he is and i i really appreciate him and i'm glad that we had the conversation and with that play ball i was down here making a new television series for showtime called your honor um starring brian cranston and written by Peter Moffat and directed initially the first three episodes by Edward Berger. And there's, you know, a bunch of New York faces in it, like, um, oh, I don't know, Isaiah Whitlock and Hope Davis and Carmen Ajogo and Margot Martindale and a bunch of young kids. Uh, it's a it's an interesting story, but that's why I was here, and I had been here since September five, um, and then um, Mardi Gras happened, and then all this happened, and then my wife came to visit, and then of a sudden everything in New York seemed pretty bad, so we decided to stay down here in New Orleans in the meantime, where it was a warmer. Uh, this was early mid March, and. Um, that's where we stay. Uh, do they have any news as to when you're, when you're back? Do they have any thoughts about that? No. Uh, they said they would stay in touch, you know, and sort of uh, check in every couple of weeks, but they stopped doing that as of now. It just seems like this has grown into something that will take much longer than anybody thought or wished for. So we uh, try to remain patient and try to keep our wits about us. And uh, if it happens sometime um, this year, that would be great. You know, <laughs> my guess is it wouldn't necessarily happen before the earliest would be September. But honestly, I, I have no idea how things are going to go. So funny, your project sounds amazing. And I, one of the reasons I wanted to talk besides the fact that I, you know, think you're wonderful. Uh, gotcha. 
Thank you. I, I actually I was thinking about this, and this is I was thinking about when we got to spend time at the Labyrinth Intensive, and I think like I feel like the summer that I met you, I directed six readings, and you may have been in two or three of them, and you were in six readings easily, you know, and and I thought you bring all this joy and commitment to to everything that was happening and Thanks. simultaneously going off and doing you know and, and by that i meant like there were some plays that were amazing right and they're ready to be produced and there's somebody's first draft that they're just writing their first play ever and and i thought i i love that amount of commitment to it and then you know, watching you go off and I think like immediately afterwards, maybe playing Hamlet in the park. And I, I just, I had a thought about it, a, a question that I was curious about, and this is going to start in the middle of an interview, but I'm curious at what, it seems as if you feel like an equal collaborator as actor, writer, director, not maybe with Shakespeare at that time, uh, but on, on Socrates and, and, uh, and and I imagined doing something in the park. And I was curious at what point did you start to feel that? And is that, or was that always present for you? No, it was not always present. And it's something that I have really desired as the years have gone by. Um, initially, when I got out of school, uh, around, uh, well, in 1992, I gave myself uh, about, I don't know, five years or so to try to think of my time in New York as a, um, an apprenticeship. So I was going to do what I was told. I was going to, you know, not argue about certain things. And I, I, uh, had, I guess, a little bit of confidence coming out of drama school, but that is was coming from someone who had never, you know, really worked in New York before. Uh, and it took, it's taken many years for me to actually assert myself in the room in regards to what the whole project may be about. In terms of what my character may have been doing, I protected my character and would fight for things that I thought may have been important in a particular story, whether it was a choice of words or uh, keeping something in the play or not. But I have not always felt that way. Um, I love to collaborate and I love to shape things together with other people. So the idea of actually having some creative input in terms of what something larger will be, that's something that I've been craving more and more every, every year to the point where now um, I, I wish to do more than just interpret other people's words. One of the things that drew me to Labyrinth in the first place, or one of the things I discovered once I got there, was the encouragement by everyone there to, if you were an actor, to write or to direct. 
uh, uh, and uh, if you are a playwright to direct and act, if you're a director to write and act, you know, all those encouragements to try things, to take risks, to explore who you are and what you may want to be. And I was inspired by that. And I want very much uh, with whatever time I may have left in this world <laughs> to do as much of that stuff as I can because I love, love being a part of seeing something grow from its inception up to whatever it turns out to be. And I've missed that a lot. Um, I've always admired people who asserted themselves into thinking they were collaborators uh, in a project, whether they were young or, or old. Um, I believe that um, it's taken me longer because um, uh, I often feel that I've been doing all of this stuff for other people in a lot of ways. I started out getting encouragement as a young person and just sort of kept doing it. And as people have wanted me to participate in things, I have wholeheartedly jumped in. But even though I had desires of certain roles I may have wanted to play or projects I may have wanted to do, I had very little drive to make them happen myself. So, uh, yeah, I don't know if Is that, that answers. Well, it does answer it, but I, do you, you know, one of my questions actually is how do you pick a project and do you feel like you have that voice now? You know, you get this script for the TV show. It sounds like great people. You're thinking, oh, they want me. I do it. Or is it, no, this speaks to me now because now I, you, I would hope are in that place where you can feel that. And if not, I'm going to tell you, you should, <laughs> you should. But yeah, how, what what are you picking projects based on what you want to say now, and or is it no, still invitation? No, it it seems to be one of those things where you make the best decisions uh, based on what is what is out there. Unless you're making your own work, if an opportunity comes my way, I evaluate it as thoroughly as I can, and I decide whether or not what is impelling me to want to do something. Um, sometimes people offer stuff. Sometimes I hear about something and it sounds thrilling and I can't get an audition or it's already been cast or, you know, it's the same thing over and over and over again. Uh, you're lucky if you can choose what you want to do. And if it's not happening, then making, making it happen, or at least trying to make it happen. Some people do choose what they want to do, but I'm often tickled by the surprise of what things come along, uh, not having expected them. Uh, and you just, you know, you go by instinct. I've always been a very instinctive person, animal uh, actor. And um, I've had to just weigh that and follow that, I think. Uh, I'm going to go backwards because I can easily ask about current stuff, but when you say the five-year apprenticeship, and I, it's very funny, I feel like I saw some of that, maybe the Tony Randall company. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, 
at what point did you did you give yourself five years? Did it feel like at that did you did you make a shift or did some event happen that allowed you to make a shift into more ownership of that collaboration? You know, I find that it comes and goes. Uh, in those first five years, I was really fortunate uh, that I, I found that uh, school threw me into opportunities that I never would have had otherwise. And I pretty much did what was presented to me. I mean, I auditioned for things. Uh, and was fortunate in that I, I worked pretty much straight for about two and a half years without a break. I did 10 plays, one after the other, after the other, after the other, right in a row. Uh, and it was thrilling for me. Um, and um, I had, I guess, done enough for people to determine or at least give me a shot at auditioning for a leading role in... Um, a Shakespeare play, and that ended up being Richard II in 1994. Um, and I got it uh, just by chance. And um, I remember feeling like somebody trusts me enough with this to want to give me the opportunity to be in a production of it. And I often lamented during drama school uh, that I had not been given many opportunities to play leading roles. Um, I got to play a lot of interesting things, uh, but not a lot of leading roles. So I had no concept or very little concept of what that would be like. So I learned a lot doing that. And uh, um, that was something that I felt like I had been climbing a ladder towards and then when it happened, afterwards, I felt like I started all the way back down at the bottom of the ladder again, because I felt like now I had to prove that it was not a fluke that somebody entrusted me with something. And uh, you start climbing that ladder again at least that's how I was. I kind of fit between a lot of different categories. Um, so it's up to each of us to decide how we want to proceed in making the best decisions for what opportunities there are. But let's say if you want to be a leading actor, then you have to perhaps, uh, if the opportunities aren't there, just do other things until an opportunity comes along, which will perhaps present you in the way you wish to be presented. But that's not been my road. I love working, I love collaborating, <laughs> and I love uh, playing, and I like to keep busy too. So I took a lot of jobs that came along that were certainly nothing like that opportunity. Uh, you just, I've always tried to keep taking steps forward in one way or another, learning something. And then once you're in it, trying to remember why you made that decision. Yeah. When you do, when you said Richard II and climbing the ladder, it's interesting because I think, I think there's a responsibility of being the lead. And there's also a new challenge of taking on, of simply just playing the role. 
right, yeah. is a challenge because you have a different obligation than coming in, hitting one scene, serving your purpose. You have to drive the whole production. But you're also, and I don't know if you felt this in the beginning, uh, meaning that production, you're also a leader of the room hmm. and setting a temperature of the of the ensemble and, and how people are going to work. And did, were you aware of it then? As when you say going back down the ladder, are you thinking about that aspect of it or are you thinking about the acting part of it alone? I was, um, I think, of the mind at that time and still somewhat now that one can lead by example as opposed to necessarily um, glad-handing or being gregarious or trying to keep people's spirits up, although all of those things are uh, can be wonderful tools to nurture an ensemble and for everyone to feel like they have a place in there. I would genuinely, uh, genuinely uh, engage with people, but I had so much to, con to, to focus on and had never really been given that large of an opportunity before I felt like it was, uh, uh, it was virgin territory for me. Yeah. Um, and I learned a lot and that was good. Nowadays, however, um, I, uh, I had, uh, a good lesson a number of years back in 1999, I did a, a new play by Howard Corder out at the South Coast Repertory Theater called The Hollow Lands. And it was a cast of, I don't know, I want to say maybe 17 or 18 to play something like 60 or 65 roles. Uh, and I was kind of in the center of that. Um, and I remember, um, it was this huge, unwieldy, difficult uh, um, drama. And it had never been done before and probably I don't think it's been done since because it is that enormous and unwieldy three acts and uh, uh, hard to swallow, so to speak. But I did learn at the end, I remember Howard saying to me, you need to learn how to be a leading actor. And that hit me in a very vulnerable place. And I didn't really know what that meant or what he meant. And I think I've learned since then what it was he meant. And I hope to try to, in the future, if I'm given those kinds of opportunities, to remember that we're all in it together, perhaps a bit more, and to engage uh, folks a bit more to encourage ideas from everybody um, and uh, that it's a team sport absolutely and regardless of what my responsibility is um, you can still show up on time you can take good care of yourself and you can be present for everybody who who may need you or have ideas about things so uh, it made sense to me that I didn't know much about that as a younger person, and I'm still learning. Um, and I've been grateful for the opportunities that have come along since then. Yeah, it's interesting. I think about that as a, you know, I'm a firm believer as a director, like every idea in the room is valuable. You know, it may not be 
the best may not be the one we take, but you want to hear from everybody and you want everybody to come prepared. And yet, and, you know, when I'm thinking about the, just the idea, just because you were talking about the leading role changing, and I was thinking about, you know, you have to have a really intimate relationship with somebody, a, intimate, vulnerable, trusting relationship with somebody. If, if I'm going to, you know, if you're going to play Socrates in a play called Socrates, you, know, <laughs> you that person, you have to have a lot of trust and you want to have trust in that person. Sure. And, and especially when you just said it, the idea of whoever's got ideas and being open to them, because that is a, that I imagine is a room early on full of ideas you know, people talking about what the play is about, what the philosophy is about, what the, why do the play, all those mm. things. And you want to hear from everyone in the room because you hopefully everyone in the room is engaging in the thought. Yes. That's what the project's about. Indeed. Um, and I imagine the role of, it's funny to hear that somebody, that Howard Corder said that to you in 1999, because I think 20 years later, I imagine that was put into practice. Uh, just because of, and I know only just because of your, the length in which you were involved in the play, you weren't just an actor coming, you know, through an audition, right? I mean, you helped develop it a little bit. That Howard's play, you mean? No, 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 the Socrates, Socrates. Oh, oh yeah, no, that, um, I'm sorry, uh, what specifically were you curious about? I'm uh, just curious about, I, I think the role of being, it's interesting to hear that at some point of being, getting the message about being open and, and a part of leadership is, you know, setting a role, setting an example. But I think there's, I imagine when you're in the role like that of Socrates, just to be mm -hmm. clear, that it's more than the example. The example is also, you're also a facilitator in a way of dialogue just by, just by participating in the, in an open process, I think, I would imagine. And knowing, knowing a little bit, I feel like you were, were you, you were just, I better be correct on this, but you were also part of the early part of the writing of that play. I mean, yeah, not that well, you wrote it, I'm not gonna, not that, but the process of him bringing it to you and reading it. Yeah, basically four years earlier, there was a screenplay uh, called Socrates and uh, with David Aaron Baker, who has been a part of this since the beginning. And, he asked me that day to read the role of Socrates and David read, um, I think, um, uh, Plato during that first reading. And since then, we had participated in at least three or four different workshops of it over the course of time with different directors and different actors. And um, Tim kept asking me to, to read it. And it baffled me initially because I never would have seen myself in in that role um but i just kept going because i loved him and i love his writing i love his mind i love the ideas the play was talking about and it was a huge challenge so i just kept going with it and it, it kept going on and on until it looked as though the public theater wanted to um involve it in its uh onassis foundation uh festival that it was uh, uh, um, hosting. Um, so it found its home, it found a place. And uh, I guess I allowed myself during the course of those 
workshops, and particularly during the rehearsal process of the play itself, to uncensor myself. If I had an idea, it would come out of my mouth. I, I, I wouldn't hesitate because I feel like, as you suggested, I wanted everybody in the room to have a voice and to throw their ideas out there and for us to try them in rehearsals because we never knew what something could be and a new actor may have a new idea about what something might be and that might crack the play open in a way we hadn't thought of. So uh, I guess in one way, uh, yes, I had something to do with the evolution of the play, but in many ways, a lot of it was shaped in the latter half of its evolution by Tim and Doug specifically. Uh, Tim was a classic scholar uh, in college and uh, Doug is quite uh, erudite himself and they had they spoke a common language between the two of them uh, deeply uh, steeped in in history and language and we were kind of the beneficiaries of their knowledge so we just kind of ran with it in some ways we were all trying to play catch-up to what they knew already <laughs> so uh, uh, as much as one might say, you know, we were involved in the evolution of the play. Um, I don't know if we were ever able to catch up to what their depth of knowledge was. It's funny, I think I start thinking about that project because I think about what just the leadership and investigation of text and I go, well, at any moment, are you going to think, oh, I'm smart enough to do this play, to be, uh, right. to be this person? anyone in that cast to be like, yeah, I'm smart enough to be in the room with these people who have shaped Western thought. <laughs> yeah, I guess though, I mean, in some ways, what was so wonderful to discover in that research was how open and available those discussions really were and how human, which I had forgotten since, I don't know, you know I read them maybe, maybe once, you know, or partially, 25, 30 years ago or whatever it was. Uh, I loved how irreverent they were and how each one had a perspective. And um, that was, I think, one of the big challenges of doing a play like that was to strip any intimidation about these people away so that people could engage in us and we could directly engage the audience. And hopefully it was fun and full of energy and, and enthusiasm and ideas you know, passionate expression of ideas, uh, which is what drew me to it in the first place. Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, one of my instincts to ask about it was that, is I felt like I love rehearsal. Yeah. And the reason I love rehearsal is because of exploration and discovery. And I feel like what a great, I, when I saw the play, I thought, what a great room that must have been in, because everything is about exploration and discovery. And you're never going to, I would think on that play, and you can correct me, I would never feel on top of it. I would always feel like I'm still chasing it. I'm still trying to catch up to like what that idea is. And this person is saying something that I understood yesterday, but now I understand that it means something else that I don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it was very much that, you know, what we were seeking was just out of our reach um, with particularly with Socrates' central notion that he, 
one thing that he knows about anything is that he doesn't know anything. <laughs> so it was, everything was just out of, out of grasp, uh, which I love. Yeah, I, I think that's what excited me about the play is I thought, oh, that's what I love about theater. You know, when I sit down, and I don't know about you, but when I sit down to do a play, anytime I know, oh, this is how this play works, well, I don't want to do that play because there's no mystery in that if I know how it works. So I've got to figure out what I don't know about the play to, to invite me into it, mm. you know. And, uh, and I thought, What are you working on before you... Uh, 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 very, I, mean, I was working on Blythe Spirit oh, wow. uh, at a university, and it's very funny that I said, oh, I know how this works. Uh, I was not as... Ex I don't know if I'm... Hopefully they'll listen. I was not as excited about the play because I couldn't quite, I had an idea about what that interests me about it and I couldn't quite crack it with, so I'll just be honest, I couldn't quite crack it with the design team to look at it differently. And, and I thought, well, okay, this is valuable for the students and I'll be in the room with them and we'll find the beats and the moments in it. And I had a great time working with the students but it was going to be a very traditional production. And then when it shut, the campus shut down and they didn't know what they were going to do. And the first week, and I was ex sort of excited. We were on spring break and I thought what the students needed at that point actually was to get back around the table and remember that it's wit and it's about the text. And, you know, I didn't need them to time out the cross and mix their martini and stuff <laughs> like that's not what they needed anymore. They needed to be as smart as Noel Coward. And so, my plan was to get back around the table and then the campus shut down for uh, two weeks, which was right when we were going to open. So we knew that wasn't going to happen. But for three days, we sat around the table and then they announced that they were not going to go back to campus. Uh, and honestly, what happened since we're on Zoom, I can model it is, you know, one of the people handed a martini out of frame and the actress playing the wife pulled a martini glass into frame and I was like wait and uh, we can make a play and then it became and then it was great then all of a sudden it was theatrical then it was us every going back to everyone being in the collaboration everyone was invested in the story and how can we communicate this and all of a sudden the actors were only responsible these undergraduate actors were only responsible for this amount of space, you know, a frame. And they were amazing. You know, all mm. of a sudden they popped to life and the text was alive and, and the key theatrical moments really told the story, which is what I'm more interested in as a director anyways. Like, what mm. do I, what do I need to tell the story? I don't need, a, <laughs> it's funny, I think about, you know, I don't need a, cocktail table and a couch and a chaise for someone to laugh. Like all of a sudden that stuff just became, how do I use it as opposed to, do I need it? And, uh, and this, the, so it's a long story of my, of you asking, but I was working on Boy Spirit and actually the zoom aspect of it made it more important and made it more vital to, and everyone's investment in the play, I think the kids are invested anyways, you know, it's their lead, they're playing a lead in college, or they're cast in a main stage production. But the investment for everyone shot up 100% of we wanting to tell the story. That's wonderful.
you, you've worked, you know, in recently and for, you know, starting back with Richard II, uh, great writers and great writers are paired with great directors. But I'm curious how the writing, how different writing influences how you start. You know, when you get a project like, and I'm now going to film, but but it's but it's only because of examples. When you get Call Me By Your Name versus The Shape of Water, right? The writing is, well, both are beautiful and exceptional, but they're stylistically feeling different. And I'm just curious when you look at a text like that or, you know, you can do any Shakespeare or whatever, but it's a, I see about that, that year and the post, there are three different styles of text. And I was curious with excellent writing, where do you, where do you start? Where do you draw inspiration or how do you enter? How do you find an entryway into those worlds? That's a great question. Um, it's usually just the given circumstances. Who are you? Uh, uh, you know, um, where do you come from? Um, how do you speak? Uh, what is your history? Why, what impels you to say what you're given to say? Um, and each experience uh, started with a very different creative processes. Uh, I think I did the shape of water first. Uh, actually, no, that's not true. I did call me by your name first. Um, and I started with a beautiful screenplay with some beautiful ideas, but uh, um, on the page, it seemed a bit dry, uh, professorial. Um, and it wasn't until we all sat around the table on our first and only day of reading uh, together the story uh, that Luca, our director said, I want this whole thing to be as if it's the most wonderful summer of your lives, full of buoyancy and laughter and joy and lightness. So all of the heaviness and dryness that was on the page, all of a sudden kind of flew out the window because the given circumstances allowed us for me to just be whatever it was that was given for any particular moment. Um, that lightness was not necessarily on, uh, on the page and we found it together as a group because we all got on really well. Um, then you're given, you know, you have to be a, uh, an archeologist or uh, an interest in ancient Greece and ancient Rome or uh, statuary and uh, the evolution of, of human beings. And um, I just started with what I was given and, and worked backwards from how this person may have known those kinds of things. Um, I had to learn the little bits of Italian, having never spoken Italian, you know, in my life. Uh, um, start with what you're given and use it as a jumping off point. Can you talk about that for a little bit? Just that idea of working backwards to how this person, what that means to you? Like if, because uh, I think it's great, there's clues, right? All of a sudden this person is an expert at this. So right. what did that mean when you say work backwards? Is it, how did they form a relationship to it or how does it, I don't want to answer the question because would love to hear you. Uh, I guess for me, it starts with what is said. 
uh, not just by me, uh, but also by everyone around me. Um, I've also uh, asked questions about what do other people say about me and what do I say about myself and uh, how much can I trust the source of that information. Um, that's where everything starts. And then you say, okay, this person says this whole thing about peaches or this person goes on about a particular statue and when it was created and uh, you start to think, okay, this is what I do for a living. This is who I've been married to for all these years. This is where my interests lie. This is what I've studied. Um, these kinds of things come out of my mouth all the time. Um, perhaps um, I have a great passion for these things, or maybe I'm testing someone, or maybe... Um, um, I'm just passing the time or, uh, you just start with what impels you to say the things that are given to you and then we'll work backwards from that, I guess. How do right. I get to say these words? That kind of thing. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, it makes perfect sense. I was curious. Yeah, I was, I, essentially, cause as a director, I want to say, oh, that's where I work from also, you know, that's the same place I work from is like, why, why are we doing this? Why, yeah. why? And and I was just curious, like, when you said you let it work backwards is, okay, this person's an archaeologist about Rome, and, like, what is that, you know, is there, how does that tell you something? But I think what's interesting is making all that as specific as possible yes. for what you're doing. Yes. You know, and, uh, and it, may, it may inform behavior or, or a relationship to it, but you're always doing something that that all you you know that any human in character is doing like you said testing teaching you know passing time yes yeah and it's uh yeah i was i i think and i think allowing yourself to that thing you said about the trusted narrator you know like you're hearing things from other people and do i trust them and are they a right source is uh it's, are they a reliable source of information, yeah. or are they just expressing an opinion, and can I believe them or not believe them? So right, and is that founded in any fact of anything that my character actually does, or, Indeed. you know, Indeed. Yeah. it may not. That's kind of fascinating, and it would be really interesting to come upon a character who says a lot of nonsense, uh, uh, or says a lot of things, um, and you may not know anything about them. Uh, you have to create those things. I always find that so much more challenging. Um, I've had many opportunities to play real people, um, and all that information is given to you. So you research that as thoroughly as you can, given how much time you have. And that is, you know, where I usually start. But there have also been instances where you're playing a fictionalized version of a famous person. Uh, and in some cases, twice removed a, a recent project of mine um, was about the horror and short story writer Shirley Jackson uh, the piece is called Shirley it's an independent film that I worked on a couple summers ago which is coming out uh, next month actually 
um, and that uh, on uh, on TV, <laughs> I guess, because no one's going to the theaters. Um, and the character I played in that, I thought, you know, was initially based on a real person, her husband, a man called Stanley Edgar Hyman, who was a uh, literary critic. And then I learned that the screenplay was taken from a fictional book. And then we started with that fictional book and the director removed it one more time and sort of said that was our starting place and now it's going to be what we're going to do now. So no matter how much you rehearse and you may know every thought that this person might have had, there are always chances that it could be something else when you show up on the day to actually do it. Uh, so you prepare as well as possible and then you play in the moment as much as you can, I guess. Yeah, which I think would be true even if they're not dramatically changing mm. at something, you still want to be open to play. Absolutely. In the day of, it's interesting about, you know, I was thinking you're, yeah, they, I think they do that anyway. Like I was watching a little bit of the looming tower, uh, you know, and also, you know, the opening credits say we have changed. Some of these things are based on fact, but we've changed them for the narrative. And I thought, right. You almost have to, you have to do that because you're trying to tell a story, you know, mm. and you're trying to tell one story. You're not trying to cover 12 angles of the life and you don't have time. Right. And uh, I, I think there's, you know, research to inform. And then at some point you have to let go and say, what is this play doing? What is this script doing? Yeah. That's different. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so that we're not a slave to history. Um, which it's impossible for us to really replicate anyway. And if we are storytellers, we need to find compelling ways to tell stories. Yeah. Um, I guess I've also been learning of late about the idea that art is, um, there's a difference between a photograph and a painting, for instance. Uh, the idea that a painting is, a representation of something, perhaps the spirit of something, as opposed to a photograph, which is a document. Um, and I've been inspired over the last number of years by those artistic representations. Uh, but I inevitably feel a sense of obligation to know the history anyway. To know the history of, the, of what's happening. In the oh, painting? the story you're telling, yes, of yeah. the painting, yeah. Yeah, now it's interesting because I think also the thing that immediately happens with a, with a painting of a historical event or something is that you're getting not only what's happening at the time, but you're also getting that artist's point of view. And I'm, yes. I'm hoping that when we're going to the theater and when we're going to cinema and, you know, is that we're seeing somebody's point of view. Yeah. You know, and... Uh, without going down that rabbit hole too far. Um, actually, I was curious, something you said about wanting to collaborate more and pick projects and drive projects. I, I didn't ask, which uh, is, are you, were you talking about wanting to do different, playing different roles in that collaborative, directing, writing, or are you talking about, yeah. And have you not had an opportunity to do, well, the writing one is different. Have you written? Mm -hmm. 
<laughs> I, I am writing actually now. Uh, all of a sudden, we all have this window of time to do, uh, to sit still, you know? Uh, uh, so I'm, I'm writing a little bit, which has been great. Uh, and I hope someday that it will be in a, some kind of a form where I could start to show it to people. Um, but yes, directing, I, I did a little bit of that in college and high school, and I loved it. It was, uh, I love to help people. Um, so it, it was a combination of many of the things that I love to do, you know, getting an image in my head of the way I think things could be, and then helping people uh, find their way within what that image, uh, what that vision might be. Um, I love that, and I'd like to do more of that. Uh, uh, yeah, those, that's, those were the things that I meant. Um, to be more in complete conversation with every nuance, uh, to facilitate the opportunity for other people to, to perform, and uh, where I can engage my mind in a very different way than I have been over the last however many years. But I do think, I think it's great when you said it, because I thought, yeah, that is it. And it's engaging. Well, I think one of the reasons I love directing is it engages in every aspect of collaboration, you know, and, uh, it, it, you know, you can, and you're never done. Yeah. Which yeah. Is, I mean, I think obviously the same when you're acting a role, you're, you're constantly discovering, but I, I like that you're being fed from different directions. And what you do not have to talk about it because it's not in a form, but do you, what, what are you writing? Um, it's a play. Um, that's about as much as I'm ready to say about it right now, uh, simply because when inspiration comes, I keep my mouth shut and I try to get it out as, as, as well as possible before I imagine sharing it. Uh, but I look forward to sharing it when it when it's in a place where it can be shared. Uh, yeah, it's an art form I'm unaccustomed to, and I'm having a lot of fun with the editing process. In some ways, it's like painting and throwing throwing ideas up on a screen and then moving them around and seeing what makes the most sense. Nice. No, and I think it is good. It's interesting. It's it's good not to talk about things until they're ready to be shared because it's not safe. Uh, <laughs> not, and I don't mean it by criticism. There's something. There's something about sharing about it before it's ready to be shared. You know, you. I don't know. You don't. You don't want to bring a. You know, you're not bringing a relationship out to people early. You're not. You know, you're protective because you're still you're still developing whatever it is to you. And I think you need to, I think it's good not to say. And also because, um, because you start, it, it starts to become a product before it's ready to be a product. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, it's not that, uh, I am inspired though. Different people do it differently. And, um, <laughs> um, I, that's kind of fun to see or to, to ask them about their process and how they do things. Uh, this is just, you know, my first foray into it, really my first serious foray into it, but I'm enjoying it so far. Good. That's great. Uh, um, 
I'm going to be respectful of time. We talked a lot about I, I, one question that somebody asked me, which I think is interesting, uh, because I think scripts get sent to you. But how how do people approach you? I mean, it's one thing if you know Tim and he's writing something and you've known him for a long time, but if somebody Wait. when somebody has a project, is there do do they approach you or do they go through agency? What like how does that work? for somebody to say, I'm really interested in Michael reading this? It depends on what it is. Sometimes it's a friend, just like it was with Tim. Uh, in other cases, it's an acquaintance, maybe that I've met before. In some cases, it's someone I've never met before. And in some cases, it comes through my agency, or in some cases, even some other people's agencies. Uh, they say, you know, we're doing a reading of one of our playwrights here at our other agency. Uh, would you mind, he would love to hear you read this part. So you go and you read around a table for a couple of hours and that's fun too. Um, there's no real rule about it. I mean, the general thing is that uh, I have an agent and a, you know, a manager and they are out there hopefully, you know, listening to what's going on and trying to in my agent's case, procure me uh, jobs. Um, and then the other thing is um, what may, uh, what I may be interested in doing and getting friends together to hear something around the table. Sometimes it comes from some friends. Let's get together and read this play aloud kind of thing and see if this might be something we'd be interested in working on, something like that too. Right, and that's you initiating or somebody initiating saying right. this exists. Let's hear it. Yeah, and I think it was it was the writer was, you know, somebody who's very good but starting out and thinking, you know, that was one of the questions was how do you approach somebody? And I think it's probably if you know them, you approach them. <laughs> Even if you don't, though, I mean, I I'm all for people who, you know, I may not have ever met somebody before, but that doesn't matter. You know, something good is something good. And if you're inspired by what it is that you've made and you hear it with someone's presence or voice, approach them. Don't, don't second guess yourself, I would say, to any young writer who's looking to get someone to, to read something. You know, just do it. Honestly, uh, there's nothing better than being uh, surprised. Uh, and honestly, that's how anything gets done. It's just somebody saying, you know what, this is how I see it. I think this person would be perfect. Can we get it to them? Period. Um, no, I think you're, and you're right, because when you said that's how things get done, as I thought, right, surprise, because then somebody yeah. says, wait a minute, I read this thing. You have to read this. You know, you, you should see, or it's worthwhile as yeah. opposed to, because I think if it's not a surprise, it's already being done. You know, yep. <laughs> somebody else already has it. Yeah, uh, good. Um, on that, which was great, is is there any any advice that you would share to somebody who's starting out in this career in theater, any aspect of it that you? Um, whenever I am asked that question these days, I think about Phil Hoffman. Uh, and a bit of advice that he gave when he was on, you know, just won an award for something and someone had asked him that question. And he said something to the effect of, 
Um, you can find this online too. So my uh, reinterpretation of it may not be uh, exactly what he said, but it was something to the effect of if somebody has paid rent for a space uh, and has given you the chance to come into a space and to participate in the possibility of getting to act in anything, uh, show up, be on time, and do the best you possibly can while you're in that room. Uh, because if you, if you show up, I think his acting teacher told him this, but it was something to the effect of, if you show up in that room and you do the best that you possibly can, uh, number one, you can hold your head up high, but uh, number two, they're going to remember that about you. Uh, I, would, I would suggest people look online for how he puts it in, in particular, because it reminds me that it's a privilege to do what we do, that put your heart and your mind and your soul and work hard at what it is that you do. Uh, there's no way you're not going to make an impression if you do that. Um, you can tell instantly the difference between somebody who's put some work in or put all the work in uh, if you're given the chance to. Uh, and that's how I've, anything's really happened for me in this life by keeping my eyes and ears open to what's going on in the world. And when I've been given a chance or when I've asked for a chance, to uh, be seen for something, show up and do the best you can. And you can hold your head up high. It doesn't matter if they won't end up using somebody else for it uh, because you did the best you could. Um, yeah. No, I love that. And I, I, I know exactly what clip you're talking about with Phil yeah. and you're right about that. And I was shy to ask this question but I will, because I saw you a couple years ago in an elevator at 528th Avenue, and you were going to an interview. You were going to an audition, uh, and it was it was after the year of those three films, and I was in my mind. I was like, "Who is auditioning this person?" Then my next then my next thought was, "Who else is auditioning for that part?" You know, like, but uh, but but my question that I thought I would ask because this conversation has been great is for the early career artist I was curious is what you do in an audition room today how you approach it different than it was going into the room when you were starting out yeah yeah um to be honest with you I don't audition as much as I used to I've been really lucky to having opportunities presented, uh, but it still happens too. Um, now I have a body of work on film and in television that I didn't have as a young actor. I was terrified of being in front of a camera and I never took an on-camera class. So everybody in New York, you know, had done Law and & Order and it took me, what, 13 years or something like that to actually have, uh, uh, to actually bag one of those gigs because I was young and I was nervous and I fell between a lot of categories. 
um, and the combination of those things, you know, I was sort of part of the cattle call for a lawyer number six, you know, it was like there were 35 of us or 40 of us who would be dragged in there and I never got those things. And then honestly, one day out of the blue, a casting director said to me on whatever audition it was, don't take a theater job, you're gonna get this part. Out of the blue, a casting director I didn't know. And that shocked me. And it was as if I had gone through enough paces over the course of years where they knew what I had done, so they gave me a chance, and one of the roles kind of synced up. That gave me a little bit of confidence, but I was kind of flabbergasted by that. Um, it's really just like throwing something up on a wall and seeing what sticks. Uh, and auditioning is, um, is a, there's an art to it. Um, but to go in with confidence and to get that confidence, you have to work uh, hard at what it is you want to do, come in with a bunch of ideas, and then be prepared to throw all of that away if somebody asks you to do something differently. Um, it's part of the fun. And as we mentioned earlier, surprised about what something could be. Uh, yeah. Uh, the biggest difference is that I don't have to do it so much anymore, which is great. Um, however, that also means in a lot of people's minds, they think they know who you are. So uh, a lot of things get cast before uh, I even know about them. Uh, so I miss in some instances an opportunity to at least get in the room to show them what I can do because it, I, I might surprise them. Uh, that conversation was great. I am really thankful, Michael, to the conversation. I really, you know, I loved what we, what he was saying at the end about going into the audition and wanting to surprise somebody, you know, surprise them on what you're able to do. And, and, and also just thinking about the fact that, you know, that he doesn't get auditioned a lot because that means that people think they know you, you know, they know what you can do and they've, they've, you know, typed you or limited you, or they've typed someone else and cast them because they think, oh, that person does this and that person does that. And, uh, you know, it's true. We do the work. If you put in the work and you go in the room and you, and you give a chance to surprise somebody and let them see you in a different light. It's interesting. I, was, I, I, I recorded this outro yesterday, this part of the interview, and it was too quiet. And I think it was quiet because I was sad about what was happening in the world and, uh, and shy and not sure if I'm supposed to be doing a podcast or what we're supposed to be doing. And so I'm re-recording it. And when I was talking about surprise, I'm like, right, you know, do the work. Do the work so that you can surprise people as to what you're capable of. And I think that's actually what's happening right now. We're doing the work. Or we're at least being asked to do the work, people white people, people in a majority culture to change. And I think, I think what was great about the conversation with Michael unconsciously for me is, um, you know, go in, do the work, surprise people, and not only let them see you in a different light, but just maybe behave differently in a way that you didn't know you were capable of. And 
And I think that message is more for me than anyone else, but I'm working on it. And so with that, I'm going to, I'm going to, <laughs> going to keep working and say, I'm going to go back to what Michael said and, and say, you know, it was really nice just a thought of ideas of that he's hungry for material and he wants to be surprised by good work. He wants people to reach out. You know, he was like encouraging about the idea of reach out to whoever you want to work with because they're looking for good material. They're looking for good opportunity and going into the room and do the work. And also the thing when he quoted Phil, um, I'm going to play that quote because I knew exactly it's from the interview post golden globes. and. Uh, and Phil has been brought up a lot on this podcast of how influential and important he was in a lot of our lives. And, uh, and I thought, you know, I wish I could talk to him. I wish he was a guest on the bullpen session. I wish he was here. And with that, I think I'm just going to share what he said. And here's a clip of uh, that interview that Michael referenced. I think what you really what you really want to say is that you have to act. This is really when you're first starting out is you have to act wherever you can. You can't be picky. You really have to act wherever you can and wherever you get a chance to act. And that might even be just in an audition room. This is something a teacher told me years ago, and he's right. Even if you're auditioning for something that you know you're never going to get, or you might have read it and you might not even have liked it, but you know that you have to go, that if you get a chance to act in a room that somebody else has paid rent for, then you're given a free chance to, to, uh, to practice your craft. And in that moment, you should act as well as you can, because if you leave the room or the theater or wherever you are and you've acted as well as you can, there's no way that the people who have watched you will forget it. And that's, that was something that somebody told me a long time ago, and I do think that's the only advice, because it's, it's always about that. It's always about the work at the end of the day. Everybody knows that. Absolutely. If I, show up to de if I show up to work one day and the work I'm doing isn't any good, I'm just a guy who's not acting well. <laughs> I mean, I'm a guy who's not acting well. You know, and, that, and you're just always back to that moment. You're always back to that moment where you have to act as well as you can. And I would say to anybody starting out, is like if you're given a chance to act, take those words and bring them alive. And if you do that, something will transpire ultimately. Yeah, uh, it's great to hear him. And I miss him. And, uh, well, thank you for listening. And, you know, I hope it's, uh, hope everybody's doing good. Hope you enjoyed the conversation and, you know, tell people about it, share it. And, uh, and, you know, take care of yourselves. Everybody be healthy. Do whatever you need to do to do that. And uh, talk to you next week. With that, we're out. <laughs>